You are Lord. You are Lord. For you have risen from the dead, and you are Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, you're my Lord. Oh, you are my Lord. For on this day you rose from the grave and you were made Lord. Every shall bow every tongue confess that Jesus you are the Lord oh I love you I love you my Lord I love you for you are mine. I love you, for you are divine. I'll love you forever, I know. My Jesus, I love you so. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. You have done great things. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. You have done great things. You set us free. You paid our debt. And we forever thank you. We worship you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, I'll praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. I love you, Lord, I'll praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. Oh, you are wonderful to me. You have set me free. I love you, Lord, I'll praise you, Lord. Oh, you are wonderful to me. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this day, Jesus. Thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. As we come to you, Lord, again, just to break your word and share it, Lord, like bread among the brethren, Lord. As we share the word that you've imparted to us, Lord, I just ask that you would give us a divine understanding divine heart to know what it is you desire for us to see within these pages that that were penned through your saints through your your servants by your inspiration 2000 years ago god just help us lord just help me to just rightly dissect and and delve into this word and and just break it apart and share it to the brethren in jesus name amen
Amen and amen. Happy Resurrection Day to all those listening on the Kingdom Corner podcast. We are here because he's alive, because he rose from the grave. Yes, I'm recording this on Resurrection Sunday, and I want you to just uh, sit back and just feast on the Lord as we as we break apart his word. We've been in a section of scripture from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. This is part three. It's been so rich, so powerful. Let me just get adjusted here a bit better, and we're going to get right into what God has for us in these passages today. Um, I want to read this first and foremost. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you or give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us or in us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you catch these verses here? He worked in us, which he worked in Christ, I should say, when he raised him from the dead. Yes, when Christ rose from the dead, wonderful things happened. Wonderful power was given. Wonderful dominion was given. Uh, and all things were placed under his feet. And he, he made available to the church these things that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks here in this beautiful passage in all of Ephesians 1. He, he read the will and he made that applicable to us. We talked about the great things that being adopted as sons, receiving the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing uh, uh, by his blood of our sin, uh, being made blameless and holy. We talked about those things. Those were all provided for when Jesus rose from the grave. This is the final apex of these scriptures, of this chapter, of this prayer that Paul prayed that I, that is such a favorite of mine, this whole passage of scripture. Without this, none of these things would be possible. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, all those things we have reviewed. Last time we talked about hope, inheritance, and power. The power, of course, came because of the great resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how the power came. We talked about the last time these four words for power that Paul talks about in verses 19 and 20. He talks about dunamis, an ability and a talent that we've been provided with. He talks about, uh, he uses the word working and worketh, which means energy. We get our word energy from it. Energia, like turning on a light. Do you know when Christ arose from the grave, a great light was turned on, a great power was turned on when he was raised, when he came back to life. Yes, it worked in Christ and raised him from the dead. Okay, then we talked about these other, these other words also here, two other words. Another word for power. 
is Ichuus, Ichuus, that uh, Paul talks about, about his mighty power, power being Ichuus, that is, is a natural capacity or power or ability or attitude, a genius, a flair, or a knack that someone has, and also means endowment. You know, when somebody leaves an endowment, like they left an endowment to this university so they could uh, fund scholarships, Jesus Christ has left us an endowment when he, when he rose from the dead. He left us an endowment, a special uh, provision for everything that we would ever need. I wrote it down. I wrote something down this way today when I was studying this. Abba's endowment, Father, the Father God, Abba's endowment was established by the willing donation by Jesus, his son. Jesus made the donation. What was the donation? The greatest thing anybody could ever do, lay down his life for you and I. That's where we're at, and we're going to talk about today as we get into the last part of this beautiful prayer, we're going to discuss um, the exaltation of Christ. And that's what I really want to, I want to finish this up. This is the apex of this prayer. In expressing this prayer, the Ephesians were to know the exceeding greatness of the power in us or towards us. We talked a lot about that last week. Paul makes reference to the working of God's power, one, in raising Jesus from the dead, uh, Ephesians 1, 20, verse A, and B, part B of the verse, 120 B, by seating Jesus as his right, at his right hand. Yes, he raised him from the dead, but then what happened? Jesus was, was seated at the right hand of God, a place of authority, a place of, a power, uh, of authority and rulership. At this point, Paul digressed slightly to expand on the idea of the exaltation of Christ. That's what we're talking about today. All right, Christ is exalted. There are those that say he's not exalted till heaven and earth have passed away in the new heavens, but he's exalted right there, right now, and he reigns there. And because of that, we can go into the heavenly courts of heaven, into the drawing room and have the will read. We can be there with him, uh, being blessed spiritually, as verse 3 of Ephesians 1 says. Yes, that's true. And we have all things, and we are seated with him. We're going to find that out as we get into chapter 2. Not only is he there, but we are seated with him as his favored sons and daughters. But that's, that's for another uh, lesson. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Several passages present Christ at God's right hand. Mark 16, 19 says, He was received into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. This was at when he ascended, okay? After the 40 days of being on earth after he rose from the grave. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, Acts 2.33. In the book of Hebrews, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 8.1, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Uh, Hebrews 10:12 After he had offered one sacrifice he gave his life for our sins forever he sat down at the right hand of God he endured the Christ uh, I'm sorry he endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Hebrews 12:2 Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God Colossians 3:1 as a point of interest, one passage has Jesus standing at the right hand of God when Stephen was being martyred. He, st he stood up. 
You can read that in Acts 7, 55 and 56. And, and he's not just sitting there doing nothing. He's sitting there in a place of power and rulership, ruling over the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and, and sending forth decrees and sending forth his angels and impressing things upon the sons and daughters of God to do. He's not just sitting there, you know, uh, austerely or distantly. He, he's sitting there in power as a display that he is in charge. Uh, implications of Christ seated at God's right hand. Let's look at this. It's a fulfillment of prophecy that this would happen. Psalm 110, 1-7 is a good place to read that prophecy. As indicated in this prophecy and compared with 1 Corinthians 15, 25-26, Christ began his kingly reign when? Not when the heaven and earth are all done away with and we're in heaven forever, but when he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to get that. He's reigning now. He reigns over everything now. It may not seem like it sometimes with the way the world is going, but he is in charge. He is reigning. The world, let me see, as indicated in the prophecy compared with 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26, Christ began his kingly reign when he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, uh, I read that. Let's go to, the, to my next page of notes. He shall rule in the midst of his enemies. At the right hand of God, he shall judge among the nations. These are quotes from, psalm, from the psalm I quoted from, 110. He shall reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. As Peter indicated in his sermon uh, on Pentecost at Christ's resurrection and exaltation, he has been raised to sit. And we talk, I've talked about this in other lessons before, uh, to sit on David's throne. Who do you think David's throne is? It's, it's that of Christ, and therefore, truly, Lord. Acts 2, 30 to 36. Christ, uh, let's go on. We may need to go uh, refer back to these verses here. Um, let's see. May need to refer back to the verses here. I want to, these are the last three verses. I really want to make sure we get them today. I want to read that again. Uh, 21, 22, 23. For above all principality, let's go, let's start at verse uh, 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, he's been seated there. We talked about that. Far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that age which is to come. He has put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're, we're finishing up today with Ephesians 1, I would say 20 to 23. We got to hook in verse 20 again, even though we, we talked about that some last week. Christ is far above all others. All are under his feet. We read that in 21 uh, through 22 there. He's, he's uh, above all others. Uh, things are under his feet. Christ is above. That The translation could be he's over and above all. Okay, He's over and above all principalities, or as uh, he's the first leader of leaders, as a leader. That's what the Greek would say. And power. The word power there um, in the Greek is a delegated authority. It's exousia. He's been delegated that authority by the Father. And might and dominion. Dominion is curiotus and means lordship. So he, he's, he's a leader, first leader above all leaders, 
and uh, and delegated authority. He's over all delegated authority and over all lordship. That's a way we'd say that in that verse there. Principality, power, might, and dominion. This is a reference to being over all spirits, all beings, uh, inclusive of even evil spirits and, and, this, and the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians 3.10 and 6.12 you could refer to. And then it says, uh, he was above, let me see, uh, the next phrase is every name that is named. Let's look at that one. This would include authorities here on earth. Uh, every name that is named. A collective summary, uh, some summary of force, and it means whatever you can name, whatever name there is that's ever uttered on anybody's lips, you know, from the beginning of the time to the end of time, Christ is above all those names. It is more exalted, the name of Jesus, than that which the name even affirms, okay? All right, isn't that powerful? All are under his feet. That's another phrase. All are under his feet. Let's see. That's verse 22. As Christ himself said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, 18. This under his feet, under, is a military term. It's hupatasso. Hupatasso means to put in subjection under one. To put in subjection under one. If we look at the verb tense, the aorist tense of the, of the Greek, it brings out even more rich meaning. It would mean the, the, the definition of an absolute gift or dominion or consequence of exaltation. means absolute... Uh, the definition of an absolute gift of dominion as consequence of exaltation. He was given the gift of dominion over all things because he was exalted as Lord of Lords. When he rose from the, the grave, we celebrate that, or we are here today at my house celebrating it. You might not uh, listen to this on Easter Sunday, but to, this would be when we would celebrate it because it's Easter. Let's read this. Um, the raising of Christ to God's right hand was followed by placing all things under him, his feet, making him sovereign over everything, over all. Isn't that beautiful? Indeed, Christ was granted all this dominion when he ascended to heaven to sit down at the right hand of God. Daniel prophesied this. See Daniel 7, 13 to 14. As revealed by Jesus to the seven churches, Revelation 2, uh, 26 through 321 talks about the seven churches. Clearly from the viewpoint of Christ and his, apostle, his apostles, he was reigning over all when the pages of the New Testament were being written. He was reigning then, okay? When Paul was even writing this, he was reigning already, okay? Got to take a second here, get a sip of water. Let's go on. But there is more amazing truth revealed in Paul's thoughts here in these last three verses. Christ is head over all things to the church. The ecclesia is what the Greek would say. And he gave and gave him as head over all things to the church, 22b, Ephesians 1, 22b, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Thus Christ is Abba's loved gift to the church. See, it's so great that, that, that he's demonstrated and firehosed us, like I talked about last week, with his power. And it's, it's upon us and in us. But he didn't stop there. 
he didn't stop there. There's another beautiful portion here that we, we must talk about before we finish this great prayer, and that he made Christ head over all things to the church, not to lord over in, you know, like a austere, uh, evil, hard ruler, but this is such a beautiful phrase. He, he was given, the Greek implies, by Abba as a gift to the church, okay? He's our gift, that because he rose from the grave, now he's been gifted to the church. What is meant by the phrase, to the church? Christ exercises his authority over all things in the interest of the church. He's not up there for self-interest. He's not up there like a lot of kings and monarchs are that say, look at me, and they beat their chest like maybe Nebuchadnezzar did and some of these other kings we read about that were not good kings, and even some good ones get carried away. Look at me, I'm so great. But it was in the interest of the church. The rule of Christ is for the benefit of his church. Because Jesus is Lord, all things work together for our benefit. Read Romans 8, 27 to 28. This is not to say that Christ will always be there for us to prevent every hardship or persecution or even death that we might go through, but he'll be with us in those things. Christ will, uh, but through Christ, all things can be used for our benefit and ultimate glory. We talked about this, I believe, one other time. Uh, maybe, maybe we didn't, but it's in Romans 8. If you read that whole chapter about how the sons of God are groaning to be manifested to the earth, you know, and that, and that all things work together for good. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Just read all of Romans 8 that really goes into that. <clears throat> so, let's see here. I'm going to go to another page of notes here. We've got a lot of good things to share here today. <clears throat> Which is his body. Okay, let me read this scripture again. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness, the his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay? So Let's go on. What is the church that it should be so blessed? It talks about his body. Let's look at what that word means. Soma is a figurative term for body. It, it could it not not just a literal term, but a figurative one, which is his body. It signifies a community of men and women, a society made up of the social a same people of the same social or ethical union. Let me read that again. It's a figurative word uh, meaning a body, a community of men and women, uh, a society made up the, of men and women of the same social and ethical union. That's the body of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4.4 4 is a cross-reference. One body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. See, we're all one. We're all in one uh, harmonious body of one uh, mind and one heart. Uh, because Jesus has been given to us as a gift. Uh, Ephesians 5, 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. Of course, we're talking figuratively there. Isn't that beautiful? Those who have been called out into the assembly of God's people are like a body. Ephesians 5, 28 to 30, you can read. As such, Christ loves us 
loves it or his body and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. The church is also called, I love this, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's look at a, I got some other notes here from a Greek scholar. This is so beautiful. This talks about a mystical body, not literal, but mystical or figurative. The body of Christ is that description. The fellowship of believers regarded as an organic spiritual, they're they're an organic uh, spiritual unity in a living relation to Christ subject, let me see, subject to him, animated by him, and having his power operating in them. Let me read that again, see if I can read this better. A mystical body, it's a figurative body. figurative word here, uh, describing the body of Christ as a fellowship of believers regarded as an organic spiritual unity in a living relation to Christ. Living, living, okay? Subject to him, animated by him, and having his power operating in it or in them. The relation between Christ and the church, therefore, is not an external relationship or simply that of, like I said, a hard, fast ruler uh, ruling in superiority over an inferior subject, that would be us, but one of life and incorporation. See, we're having life between us, okay? The church is not merely an institution ruled by a president uh, or a kingdom in which he is the supreme authority or vast company of men in, 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 in sympathy with him, but a society which is in vital connection with him, having the source of its life in him, sustained and directed by his power, the instrument also by which he works. Isn't that powerful? Yes, he, he, ha- he, he, he incorporates us with him. As his body is filling all in all. We fill him and he fills us. He, he, is, he could be complete without us, but he's chosen not to be. So he has to have the body of Christ to be fully complete. The, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The, this, this expositor says, uh, carries the idea of the church far beyond a limited conception of a concrete institution or outward visible organization, or I would say a white church with steeples, <laughs> and lifts us to a grander conception of a spiritual fellowship which is one under all varieties of external form and constitution in virtue of the presence of Christ's Spirit in it. Isn't that wonderful? Embraces all believers existing wherever any are found. Woo! Right? In a coffee shop, in a cave in China, in a, in a church with a steeple that's white, out on the park, fellowshipping. Yes, yes, wherever two or three are gathered, he's there talks about uh, elsewhere phraseology of a royal priesthood first peter 2 9 and the church of the firstborn hebrews 12 23 these are all scriptures that relate to this uh union between christ and his church it is the supreme idea of the church as a spiritual order the essence of which is a living relation to christ living relation okay not religion not going to a church building and going through uh rote you know duties and concepts and rules each Sunday, but a living relation. The essence is, is a living relation to Christ that receives further expression in, 
in the profound sentence which the following, uh, which the paragraph closes with. The fullness, here we go, the fullness, this is beautiful. And this word is pleroma, pleroma in Greek, fullness. Thayer's gives the following, that which is or has been filled, like filling up a ship with sailors and crewmen uh, or, or, or rowers or soldiers. In the New Testament, the body of believers, that which is filled with the presence, power, agency, riches of God and of Christ. Alfred says the meaning being that the church being the body of Christ is dwelt in and filled with God. It is his pleroma, fullness, in, in, in a special manner. His fullness abides in it, in us, I should say, and is exemplified by it. Expositor's comments further, the idea is that the church is not only Christ's body, but that which is filled by him. You know, that which is filled by him. Wow, there's so much here in, the, in this passage today. Let me read it again. And then I'm going to, we're, we're almost done, but I just want to go to another scripture. If I can find my Bible here, I want to go to another passage for you. I've got to pull out the Bible, but I want to read these last three scriptures or, or from verse 20. <clears throat> let's, let's read from this other one because it's so powerful. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power? toward us and in us according to the working of his mighty power and here's where what made it all possible which he worked or exerted or turned on in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in any age to come in the new age to come and he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of uh, of him who fills all in all let's read one one more verse here that it, it, this is this is uh, so applicable to this. We're going to turn to John 17. I don't have it marked here, but it, it's just it, it's just so amazing. This prayer of intercession. See, Paul was praying these first these nine verses from 15 to 23, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Paul's powerful prayer uh, of of intercession for the Ephesus church for those working by faith and through love, or through love and through faith. As I told you before, it's not for the faint of heart. For those that are wanting to be on fire for God, this is a prayer of intercession. Jesus also had a prayer the night that he, at the Last Supper, that he prayed for his disciples, but it extended to all his children, not just to the disciples. And I could, I could spend some time here, but I just think we want to end up with this one or two verses here. 17, let's see. 17, let's see. Uh, 
He's he's praying for the disciples, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And he's praying to Abba that this would be done. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify or set myself apart, that they also may be sanctified or set apart by truth. Now, Jesus expands the prayer for all believers. I do not pray for these alone, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. This is what we're talking about at the end of this beautiful verse here, where he fills the church. Uh, they fill him and he fills them, all in one, all in all. That, that Let me read that again. Which his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what this verse here in John, uh, they're, they're parallel. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known you, that you sent me, and I have declared, them, declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. See, I love this verse, verse 21, or I think it's verse 21. It says, that they may be one as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you. See, Jesus and the Father were one, and they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you gave me, I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you and me, and they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's what it's all about. We want, we want to be, because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that he's bestowed upon us, flowed us over with like a fire hose and put inside of us because his son was ri risen from the grave and seated at the right hand of God. We now have the provision to, to be one, to have the fullness, to have the church, to have Jesus Christ gifted to the church. And, and him who fills all in all, which is body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're one in him, he's one in us, we're one in the Father. So much so it, it, it will become such a reality that when they look at you, they'll see Jesus. When they look at me, they'll see Jesus. They won't know where you or where Matt Guybe, as it were, lets off and where Jesus uh, takes 
you know, what the difference practically is, because Jesus flows so much in power out of me. That's, that's, what the, that's what the apex of this scripture is, because of the resurrection, because of this prayer that Paul prayed, the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, right? So anyway, that is the exaltation of Christ. That is Paul's prayer. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, Paul's prayer of intercession to those that are working in faith and love, to you, my friends, to everyone that names the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Corner Podcast.